Jnanatimirandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Vidatam Dena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhara Shivasadi Gauravaktavinda Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, Go Pray Manande Haribo. I'm extremely honored to be here at this Rathayatra festival, which started with devotees who have been sincerely practicing the Krishna consciousness process, uh, giving vows that they will follow this very strictly for the rest of their lives. And we thank everyone for coming here tonight. This Rathayatra is a, a deeply felt festival for those who read the Srimad Bhagavatam. The Srimad Bhagavatam is the description of the loving exchanges between Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and his devotees in the spiritual world, in fact. It's a special place set aside for those who have developed a kind of love in their hearts for Krishna in which they're serving him with their whole heart and soul and with a very special loving sentiment. This is something in the book called Vrihat Bhagavatamrita that was noted by Uttara, the mother of Parikshit. He's the one who's in the center of the Srimad Bhagavatam as he had as a king one day on an excursion, felt uncharacteristically hungry, excuse me, thirsty, and he had gone to the hermitage of a sage who was sitting and meditating and oblivious to the whole external world. And I say uncharacteristically because Prichit Maharaj is called a Raja Rishi. It's not ordinarily ordinary king. We don't have much experience in today's world about politicians being rishis, to say the least. <laughs> we see um, from the ancient days in the culture of India that there were kings who were also pure-hearted and they knew how to move through this world themselves in such a way as not to become entangled. And they were very careful in their actions. And they also taught their citizens. They had great compassion for their praja. Praja means anyone born in the entire kingdom, not just human beings and not just their party or the people that supported them. And also we see that in the Srimad Bhagavatam, King Ugrasena, who at one point was being publicly criticized by a Brahmana who was losing his children right after they were born. They were just disappearing, actually. 
And the Brahmana went and did a protest in front of King Ugrasena's palace, but he didn't have him removed or arrested. He was a saintly person. So Parikshit Maharaj, when he was in the forest, had seen this hermitage and gone there feeling thirsty, but the sage didn't respond when he came in. It's culture that when somebody comes to your house, you're supposed to greet them warmly, even if they're a stranger. This is not so well practiced these days either. As beware of dog on the sign, or beware of, anyway. Uh, but there's a, t a, a tension people feel, a non-trust of others. So when he came in, he expected at least a greeting, but nothing. The sage sat motionless in meditation. And at that time, something providential happened, and that was the king became angry. He felt indignant that, why was I mistreated? Have you ever felt like that? So the king then went out and as he was leaving, he found a dead snake on the ground and he came back in and he unceremoniously or ceremoniously hung it around the, the neck of the meditating sage who really didn't even notice then. But word got out of what had happened and the, the young son of King Pariksit then found out about it. And at that time, sage. sage yeah, the, the son of the sage, Shamika Rishi, was named Shringi. And he had this sense of power because he was in the family of a Brahmana. And he also was at the cusp of Kali Yuga when those in the family of Brahmanas had some power. And he then heard about it and to show off to his friends, cursed. King Pariksit, just this young boy cursing somebody who was so important to the world. It was a tragedy, actually. And the curse had potency at that time, inexplicably. And when Pariksit Maharaj found out about it, he didn't fight it. He said, this must be divine arrangement. And then he left his, his post. He said, I have seven days to live because that was the curse. This king shall die in seven days. He'll be bitten by a snake bird. It was something that the boy conjured. And of course, when his father, the father of the little boy Shringi, found out about what his son had done, he was mortified because he honored the king and knew he was a great soul and was ashamed that his son had done this. Nonetheless, it was the mood of this great king, Parikshit, to just accept it. And so he did, and he sat down on the bank of the Ganges, and he wanted to know, what should I do in my last seven days in order to attain perfection of life? And many sages came from all over to give advice, and there was a cacophony, means you know, many voices speaking at the same time, giving advice, and none of it resonated perfectly with him. But then, by divine arrangement, the great sage Shukadev Goswami, who happened at that time to be wandering 
And it wasn't out of aimlessness. He had this sense of karunaya, wanting to do something good for others. And so when, when Krishna works with us in this world, he's in everyone's heart, as he says in the Bhagavad Gita, and he arranges for those who need help to be connected with those who can give help. And that's what happened in that case. Shrukadeva Goswami was 16 years old. He walked into the assembly of brahmanas and everybody stood up to offer respect. That's what you do when a great personality comes in one's midst, one should stand up because there's a way in which our life airs rise when we see someone great. So if we don't rise up, it'll throw our life airs out of balance. And it's, it's the sign of respect. We stand up and then we show pranams. So they all did that and then they offered him a seat of esteem and for seven days, nonstop, seven days and nights, he spoke about the spiritual world and about the relationship of Krishna's devotees with Krishna in the spiritual world. And at the end, the seven days was not completed. There was a little time before the snake bird would come to bite the king. And the mother of Parikshit Maharaj named Uttara had not been close enough in the assembly to hear everything that had transpired and everything that her son had heard. So she, she asked him, please, would you give me the synopsis in the time that you have left? And in her request, she also noted something very important and that is that there are devotees that have a very special kind of affection for, the, for Krishna, for God. And there must therefore be a special place for them that accommodates their particular kind of love for God. So can you tell me anything about that? And Parikshit Maharaj then understanding his mother's heart and what she wanted to hear described about the hierarchy of love for Krishna that there are some people that have a very beautiful kind of love for Krishna, but it's more in a mood of reverence. They understand he's God and they bow to him and they worship him with uh, great respect. And then he described how there are other devotees who live in the topmost planet of the spiritual world and of course in you know like there's elementary mathematics and then there's applied math and advanced and the very elementary understanding of where we are in the scheme of things Krishna tells us in the Bhagavad Gita that don't think this world that's always in the mode of destruction that's falling apart at every minute. And at the end, there's a complete destruction of the material world. It becomes, uh, goes back into a state of neutrality. All the elements and the variety that we see here becomes uh, merged into one single substance. It goes back into the body of Mahavishnu. 
where the uh, living entities reside for many millions of years. If you're first time here, I'm sorry for being speaking so many different details. I normally speak in a more simple way, but it's kind of aimed more towards Ratha Yatra special, but we'll get into some other uh, points. So he describes how there's a material world and there's a spiritual world. This material world is it, always in the process of destruction. It's constantly falling apart and at the end it's destroyed altogether, whereas the spiritual world is never destroyed. It's eternal, it's always existing. I know that it's nice to sit on the stairs because it elevates your backside a little bit, but it's super antagonistic to people who are visiting the temple. So the stairs got to be clear so people can walk into the temple. Ashish, you got to move. Vedavit Prabhu, yeah, it's, it's just, there's plenty of room over here. Please come and sit with us. Mm. And then the guests who come, you guys don't have to sit on the bed. On the balcony, I think. Just come in. Leave it nice and open for people. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. Spiritual world, nashyatsu navinashyati. Even when everything else is in flux, even when the material world changes and is destroyed, the spiritual world stays the way it is. And there's a hierarchy in this spiritual world also. There's various regions that accommodate people's sentiment for loving God. And all of them are perfect. There are ways in which the, the devotees who live in those various realms are giving their hearts to Krishna. And he appears in, in various forms. God is one, but he has many different forms to accommodate the desire of his devotees to serve him. He says in the Bhagavad Gita, in, in whatever way you want to offer your service and love to me, in that way I will reciprocate with you. So, as described in Brahma Samhita, one of the important wisdom texts that talk about all the basic truths of the spiritual world and the material world, it says, Goloka namni nijadamni chale tatasya Devi mahesha Haridama Suteshu Teshu, Tete Prabhava Nichaya Vihitashchayena, Govindamadi Purushamta Mahambajami. Lowest of all is located Devidam. That's where we are now. Now, as you explain that, Devi is Durga. She's a goddess. She rides on a. Is it a tiger or a tigress? Does anybody know? Tiger? Call a friend. Okay. okay, so it's a tiger, and she's holding a trident, it has very sharp points, and she's jabbing people, including myself, and these three points 
describe the threefold miseries of the material world. So Durga also means difficult to go, it's Durgachiti. It's hard to move around in this world, hard to keep a job, hard to stay in your job uh, if, because you don't like it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a difficult place. So this is called Devidam. Above Devidam is Maheshtam, the boat of Shiva, which is partway between the material and spiritual world. And then there's a demarcation between this material world and the spiritual world called the Viraja. Uh, that, uh, I always wondered that when I was a kid. Where does it all end? Did you ever think that? We'd, I'd lie in the backyard with my brother, Thomas, and we'd look at the sky and I'd say, is there a door up there or something? <laughs> and apparently there is. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a demarcation between the material and spiritual world. They're entirely uh, different. In fact, in one of his original books, or first books that he wrote, Srila Prabhupada described the material and anti-material worlds, matter and antimatter. So it, acts, it has a completely different characteristic. And once one crosses the Viraja, then there are a series of realms where people are engaged in serving the Supreme out of love, but they have different sentiments. And the highest is called Nijadam. Nija means somebody's personal place, where that's their home. That's, that's where they uh, show themselves to all their most intimate associates. Like you all have a Nijadam, right? Somewhere. You're different when you go in there than when you're moving about in the outside world, perhaps. Yes or yes? Yes. Yeah. So Nijadam is, is this very special place. And that's something that Uttara, the mother of Prikshit, intuited and then asked the Prikshit, could you tell me, is, is there, there must be a special place for those who have this very rarefied kind of loving sentiment towards Krishna. And this is what's described in the Srimad Bhagavatam, that there is a realm in which uh, Krishna resides and he's smitten by the love of his devotees. God becomes subservient actually to his own devotees because uh, he, he's overwhelmed with their love. Have you ever experienced yourself that somebody served you in such a way that you felt that you could not repay them because they didn't want anything in return. Some loving gesture someone did for you and then you just felt overwhelmed. Has that ever happened? Yes. Okay, 17 people said yes. <laughs> okay, 18. All right, so in that realm, it's described Sriya Kanta Kanta Parama Purusha Kalpataravo Druma Bumishchintamani Ganamayi Toyamamritam Kataganam Natyam Gamanamapi Bamshi Priyasaki. There is a dancing going on out of joy because there's an emanation of love constantly coming out of the hearts of the devotees that live in that Nijadam, the highest realm of the spiritual world. It's called Goloka. And it's the place where Krishna resides and that answers the inquiry of Uttara about the most special place that accommodates those who have a natural friendly love towards Krishna, an unceremonious love. In other parts of the spiritual world, for instance, in 
Vaikuntha, although that can be a general term which means without anxiety, there is a place in which people worship God with great awe and reverence. They're offering prayers, they stand in a particular way, they're more um, conscious about how they're approaching God, try to keep their distance. Whereas in Goloka, the highest realm, there are relationships in which the devotees play with Krishna as friends and they actually wrestle with him. And they feel, do his friends, that we're equal. And like you feel with your friends, when you're really close with somebody, then there's this sense that you can actually maybe even cut a joke at their expense. Do you have any friends like that? Yeah. And they'll think it's funny yeah. and not fire you or <laughs> never come back. <laughs> yeah, I have friends like that too. And it's actually the, the it's, it's a heartfelt kind of relationship where you know, we'll say subtle things about each other to cut each other down and then we just roll over laughing because it's, it feels so good to be that close to somebody that there is no uh, delimiting factor uh, because I have a distance between that person uh, because there has to be some formality, no more formalities. That's what Goloka is. So in that realm, Krishna has friends that he plays with, wrestles with. There are elderly uh, women there who, uh, when Krishna is a baby, and remember, he's God, the Supreme Personality, God of the source of everything in the Bhagavad Gita, when Arjuna realizes that Krishna is everything and everywhere in his uh, universal form, he says, oh my God, that's where that came from. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Now they say it at the high schools, you walk by and they go, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So there's this sense of just, uh, I probably offended you. And that's not there in Vrindavan. The love is so intimate. And then those ladies, sometimes when Krishna is a little child, he appears in different forms to accommodate the kinds of loving exchanges that the devotees have with him. And they'll say, they'll clap their hands and they'll sing a song and they say, please, could you dance, Krishna, when he's just very young? You know, when a little child starts to respond and dance, it's like they're playing some instrument or singing and the child's dancing. So they tell him, if you dance nicely, we'll give you half of a sweetmeat. <laughs> like a sweetmeat means like a, a, a tasty treat. It's made out of, you know, with all nice ingredients like sugar and, and um, and milk. I don't know if that's okay to say these days. <laughs> that didn't sound right here in California. It's like, that's horrible. You should stop talking now. Um, anyway, it's a very tasty sweet <laughs> uh, that comes from loving cows that are loved. And so uh, they'll say, we'll give you half a sweet meat if you, if you dance nicely. Uh, this is the intimacy of love there. And then there are those that have a kind of relationship with Krishna, like a lover, where, you know, the lovers are, that are at home and they're kind of keeping, they're keeping it together by acting like they're do, doing, well, they're not acting, they're doing everything they need to at home so nobody knows that they're thinking about their lover somewhere. This goes on in Goloka Vrindavan. 
it's reflected here in this world. That's why we recognize all these relationships that I'm talking about now, because they're originally there in the spiritual world, but here they're reflected. Uh, this material world is like a pool of water, and if you see a reflection on it, and then the pool moves, then it's constantly uh, changing. And our relationships here get disturbed by the changing nature of the world. There's a semblance of reality here because it's a reflected surface that we're dealing with. But in the spiritual world, the real thing that we all want, that loving exchange where we can put our full hearts into it and it's always increasing. Just like a beam of light, theoretically, if you point it into the air, it'll continue to expand unlimitedly forever. And it's hard to imagine in this world where what I'm used to is that everything is... Um, Enervating. It's decreasing. It's running out of gas. It's like not as good as it was yesterday. Oh, I saw it in a new light and I don't like it anymore. But there everything's always increasing in beauty and, and uh, in refinement. So that's the, the topmost realm that Parikshit Maharaj describes to his mother, Uttara. And that's what's described in the Srimad Bhagavatam. And the festival that we had today is uh, about, it's meant to shine a light on the, on the most intense kinds of love that is exchanged by, between Krishna and the residents of that topmost realm. Because as you read in the, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, Krishna appeared in Vrindavan under very strenuous circumstances. Uh, there was an attempt by the king at the time, who was a bad person, who wanted to kill him because there was a prophecy that, that, the, um, that Krishna would appear and he would kill him, the eighth pregnancy of Devaki and Vasudeva. So Kamsa was living in fear and making arrangements so that he could kill the child when it was born. So when Krishna finally appeared in Vrindavan, there was a way that um, he was switched with uh, another child and hidden in the village. There's a lot more to say about that, but it's not John Mashtami, so we'll leave it at that. So from there, everything was in secret. Things have a They're tastier when they're, they're done because somebody else is um, trying to break it up. And Kamsa wanted to kill the child, so even in the name-giving ceremony for Krishna, it had to be done in a secret place in a cow shed. And then his loving exchanges with all his devotees were going on in Vrindavan. And there, were, there was a constant sense of danger there that Kamsa wanted to kill him. So at a certain point, uh, Kamsa, the king, who was the evil king and wanted to kill Krishna, he sent a messenger to the place where Krishna lived named Akura. And Akura came there in his chariot and his duty was to bring Krishna and Balaram, Krishna's brother, back to Mathura where this king lived. And then the king had a 
designed to kill them. So when Akura went to Vrindavan and he collected up Krishna and Balaram, he invited them to sit on the chariot. He told them what was actually happening. And as they were leaving, the residents of Vrindavan, headed by those uh, who are called gopis, the, the women of the village who had this very, very uh, deep, intense love for Krishna in a level of uh, lover and beloved, they were besides themselves. They had been hiding their love from, from their elders, but at this point it all came out because what could they say except for don't go. Uh, they tried to stop the chariot. You'll see paintings of this uh, that where they're actually entangling themselves in the wheels of the chariot to, to, to try to stop Krishna from leaving Vrindavan. But as the story goes, he finally leaves. And those devotees of his in Vrindavan stand, especially the, the gopis, on the road. And it's like they're a painted picture. They can't move because they're stunned that now they don't have the association of Krishna. And he's gone to another place. And who's he with now? And when will we see him again? And he'll, he said before he left, I'll be back. And they're counting, you know, he'll be back in three days. So three days from then, and then three days from then, and it went on for years and years, them waiting. So then, in the Srimad Bhagavatam, we find that there was a ceremony to be performed at a place called Kurukshetra, at the eclipse of the sun. And it's a time when people, an astrologically beneficial time for when people come from all parts of the world to that particular place, Kurukshetra, you know, is where the battle of, of, that's mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita was spoken. So they all came there and Krishna was there. So Rathayatra, the festival that we have with the chariots, is talking about that particular time. So Krishna is there and then the residents of Vrindavan who have been waiting and waiting for him to come back, then hear about Krishna going to Kurukshetra and they all go there together on their wagons. And of course, Krishna is in a different mood and he's in a kingly mood there in Kurukshetra because he's gone from Mathura to Dwarka as a king and now he's there with soldiers and all these people worshipping him in different ways. And so, uh, when the residents of Vrindavan show up, they seem a little out of place to the others. Like, like who are these people? People from the village who've come all this way. And when Krishna uh, finds out about them coming there, they have a meeting there at Kurukshetra. And as Srila Prabhupada explains, the, the, the Rathayatra is the time in which the residents of Vrindavan who are waiting for Krishna, pining for Krishna, are pulling him back to Vrindavan on the chariot. So that's the history of, of the Rathayatra. And as Prabhupada said many times when he talked about it, it's a very feeling festival. And the process of Krishna consciousness that we've in, uh, received from our disciplic succession, from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu down through the various teachers in our line, uh, 
is showing us the path to which we can also develop this kind of intimate relationship with Krishna in Vrindavan, in that mood. And the festival of Rathayatra is especially poignant for those who know the story and know what it means. And the forms of Jagannath, Baladev, and Subhadra, you notice that their eyes are wide open, their limbs seem to be underdeveloped compared to other deities, don't they? I mean, definitely the eyes are wide open. We got an agreement on that, right? <laughs> and this is, this is a sign of ecstasy that Krishna feels when he hears about the residents of Vrindavan and remembers their love for him. He goes into this kind of ecstasy and in a kind of a spiritual ecstasy, this is kind of really <laughs> not a Sunday uh, topic, but here we are. That Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, who is Krishna, uh, come as a devotee, an incarnation, to show how to practice the process of devotional service, had experienced ecstasy and his limbs sometimes contracted within his body, so he looked like a tortoise, practically. And at other times, they extended uh, past where the joints could hold and so forth. This is the spiritual ecstasy that comes into the body of one who's advanced in spiritual consciousness. So even Krishna experiences these kinds of ecstatic feelings when he remembers or hears about his devotees in Vrindavan. And Vrindavan is the, the place where no one ever sleeps because they're always pining for Krishna and always wanting to be with Krishna. In the material world, you notice that Mahavishnu, who oversees the creation of the material world, it's described he has half-closed eyes. Have you ever seen a deity of Mahavishnu? He's lying back and he's basically sleeping because everyone here is ignoring him. Everyone's off to Home Depot to build themselves a little... Even the birds, they're flying off the air conditioner duct to get down. Let's get some pieces of straw and build a nest. Who cares about God? and everybody else is busy driving down the freeway. It's like, yeah, 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 later. But in, in Vrindavan, they're always thinking of Krishna, always trying to serve Krishna, always trying to be with Krishna. And therefore, Krishna's eyes are wide open. He never sleeps. He comes home. He sneaks back out to be with his devotees at night. And this is the town, really, that never sleeps, Vrindavan. So this is what we've inherited and we have these temples like this where we're worshiping deities and the information about where this kind of worship comes from. It's not arbitrary. It's not something that is concocted, but there's a storyline to it. And if we pick up the storyline by reading Srimad Bhagavatam and Sri and Chaitanya Charitamrita, then we can understand what Prabhupada meant by this is a feeling festival. It's kind of interesting because I keep hesitating to say all these, you know, uh, particular topics because I don't know who's here uh, exactly. Maybe somebody's a newcomer and it sounds a little bit extreme. But Prabhupada also had these festivals in the middle of Fifth Avenue. I was there in 1976. Prabhupada came there from Washington, D.C. We all drove down there and Prabhupada 
followed the whole festival. He came to several in San Francisco when I was there also. And he's the one who brought it to the world and said, bring it down Fifth Avenue in New York City and show this. It's an interesting dichotomy because we're talking about the topmost principles of spiritual life. We're talking about deities that represent the, the, the most intimate kinds of exchanges that devotees have with God. And then we're parading them and that whole idea of that down the street in, where is it here? Which street do we go now? PCH, the old PCH, and there, <laughs> there's God in his most, you know, ecstatic form possible. So, last point, and that is that anyone can experience these kinds of sentiments for God by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, because. It's a very special mantra which describes what I've just been talking about, the intimate relationship with Krishna and his devotees in the spiritual world. It's a formula, it's in code form, and when you say it, it takes you there, it actually awakens that sentiment in your heart, especially when you are around the devotees and you hear it from devotees who are oriented towards that uh, level of relationship between uh, Krishna and his devotees. And so when other people hear the, the Maha Mantra from all of you who know about this and are worshiping Lord Jagannath and chanting Hare Krishna, if somebody walking out of a restaurant, for example, minding their own business, and they hear Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Hare Hare, there's a special quality that, to that vibration. That Rupa Goswami said something He's one of the great teachers of bhakti from 500 years ago. That yarabaso pyudyan kavalita bhava dvanta vibhavo drisham tattandanam apiti api drishiti. That if somebody hears Hare Krishna, the Hare Krishna mantra, there's such power in it that even if they're blind, they're undumb, and they hear it, that vibration can wake, awaken in their hearts that feeling of love for Krishna. What to speak of somebody who enters into the tradition because they feel like these people have integrity, they're making vows, they're going somewhere, and then such a person takes it up and then leans into it. Whether he or she lives in an apartment or a teepee or a you know, big house, it doesn't matter. Bhaktivinoda Thakur said, that it doesn't matter where you live. If you start chanting this Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, that feeling that the residents of Vrindavan had when they came to Kurukshetra and there was this way in which they were there, they saw Krishna, but they couldn't have him the way they wanted him before. So they were just pulling him back to Vrindavan. It's such an intense time. All that's in the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra that we've received. And anyone can feel that even walking out of a bar in downtown Laguna Beach, they hear Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna. See, I'm starting to feel it now. Uh, you hear that vibration and in it, there's the 
vibration of the spiritual world, and especially coming from Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that leads to that topmost place in the spiritual world, where we feel the same kinds of sentiments that the residents of, of Vrindavan felt. And we will, by organizing our, our lives around this principle of staying in the transcendental vibration, Rupa Goswami says, this is what you do. Try to organize your lifestyle in a different way so that you can hear about this on a regular basis. Regular basis means at least once a day. Is that fair enough? Yes. Everybody agrees? Yes. Yeah. So he says that... Um, what verse am I thinking of from the Upadeshamrita? Tanama rupa charitari sukirtanami smritya kramena rasanam anasini yoja tishtam vrajaya tananuragi jananugami kalam nayed kalam nayed akilam itupadesha sharam. He said the essence of all advice for all of us is to reorganize your life or better organize it. And make sure that you're staying in this vibration, especially the Hare Krishna mantra, and read Srimad Bhagavatam um, with friends who are like-minded. They want to know. They want to know how to love God. They want to know how to uh, not get caught in the thorns of this material world anymore. That's their main desire. And if you sit with them, and if you hear with them, and you chant Hare Krishna sincerely, then you'll be able to enter into that same realm that we're describing uh, as the topmost realm of the spiritual world. That's a worthy occupation. So uh, let's just see if there's a few reflections because we're coming to the near the end of our time and uh, it's been a long day for everybody, right? No? Okay. <laughs> You're cool, you want a chair? Okay. Okay, a reflection just means anything that you heard that stuck in your mind, a concept, a phrase, whatever, and you can feed it back because I just want to make sure that you heard something. Otherwise, I can't leave. Yes? I like how you said we should keep the vibration going, and you gave an example once a day. That is a really doable number. Yeah, keep the vibration going, and at least once a day. Atuli Bhakti is saying, and that's a doable number. Yes. Yeah, like we'd like to say, uh, something more than zero and not less than one. <laughs> because uh, we have this saying that really works well. I, I know it works well for me and for others. I hope it works well for you. Your pledge is your wedge. <laughs> Try it. Say it. <laughs> I, uh, I know it sounds a little corny, but here's how it works. A wedge is one of the most powerful tools in human society. You can't make an arch without it. There are ways in which you can lift heavy objects, you can hold things in place. It's been used throughout history, the wedge. And it has a small end and it has a big end. So when you make a vow, a pledge, I'm going to do something that's not less than one and something more than zero to keep the vibration going in my life. You're putting the thin end, edge, thin end of the wedge into use. And with a little bit of consistent pressure every day, pushing the wedge, it's going to open up for you uh, a completely different life, a life of freedom, free from the oppression of the senses and a, a jolliness that comes naturally from coming to the spiritual platform. So make a pledge 
to do something every day, even if it's the tiniest thing that you can imagine. Keep the vibration going. Thank you. A couple more. Need more oxygen? Yes. Dhanavari. Hare Krishna. So you like the part about how ch- by chanting Hare Krishna you can experience a Krishna's Leela. Everything's there in the Hare Krishna Man Mantra. Complete. Nothing else needed. Okay, two more. Yes, Prabhu. I, I really like... Kanai Thakur, Prabhu. Haribo! that the devotees freely share with the entire world. The most intimate relationship that they, that they share with Krishna. They just the most intimate relationship that they share with Krishna. Walk down, the walk down the street. Able to share it with the whole world. This is the gift of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that he, uh, he's compared by one of the great teachers of Bhakti, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, to an emperor who one day gets intoxicated, goes into the treasury, takes out all the most valuable jewels. Are you with me on this? It's a good one. He puts them in a big bag, over his shoulders, la. You know, you forget yourself when, in, in, when you're in a state. And then he goes down to the common road, and he just goes from carriage to carriage, person to person, handing them out for free. Yeah, I know. She got it. So that's uh, the, the mood of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who's the, the avatar of Krishna, who's come as the, the, a devotee in order to taste what the devotees are getting in Goloka Vrindavan, the topmost sentiment that they're experiencing. Krishna can't experience it because he's the object of their love, but he wants to be the one who's experiencing it for himself as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he's in this mood of Srimati Radharani in the spiritual world because Lord Chaitanya is a combination of, of, of Radha and Krishna together. And she's compassionately giving it to everyone and so is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So when we go out and go down the street and people come out of the bar and they're on their way somewhere else and they hear Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And they get a little prasadam. Then this opens for them the channel to that topmost spiritual world. That's, that's what we have that's so special. So thank you very much, everybody, for um, sitting for this talk. It's an ex- important process to sit and listen and exchange thoughts. And you can do this anywhere. Uh, in your home, to sit together with others, read some from Bhagavad Gita, and then discuss it. We just did it today, in the last two days at Rupanuga Prabhu's house, where we're staying. 
I carry with me a Bhagavatam, so I'm always uh, reading it every day and make sure I'm moving forward. And so if you go to somebody's house, bring your Bhagavatam with you and sit down and say, hey, can we read for a little while? It's much different than if you sit there and talk about what else is there to talk about. Yeah, what's in the news, by the way? Don't tell me, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> uh, but but if, you t if you sit and you read Bhagavatam together, you'll notice that it's a completely different experience. So anybody can do that. If you don't have a Bhagavatam, uh, you should get one and put it in your house and then read from it every day at least, how much? Not less than one and something more than zero. And also chant Hare Krishna. Thank you very much, everybody. for <laughs>